Chapter 8 of Stories in Gray. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dan Gerzinski. Stories in Gray by Barry Payne. Chapter 8 Her People. 1. "'Not got your car here tonight, Miss Irwin?' asked Mr. Fielding. "'It was here,' said Lydia. "'I sent my maid back in it with the floral tributes.' "'That's you all over,' said Mr. Fielding, with enthusiasm. "'Any other woman would have kept her car for herself and sent her maid back in a taxi. "'My driver's been up late three nights running now. "'That was why I didn't let him wait. "'I expect my bouquets were getting rather thirsty, too.' "'You love flowers?' said Mr. Fielding. He still lingered at the door of the taxicab, a kind old man, but he bored the great violinist extremely. "'Yes, but I don't like to be suffocated by them, so I let poor Stamford be suffocated by them instead. Good night, Mr. Fielding. Thanks so much. Mayn't I see you home?' "'Oh, no, certainly not,' said Lydia, laughing. "'But thank you again.' Bore, she exclaimed with conviction as the cab passed down Regent Street. Presently she picked up the communication tube and spoke to the driver. He had been given her home address away in South Kensington. She now directed him to stop at the next corner on the near side. A big private car was waiting here. She dismissed her cab and overpaid the driver. She always overpaid everybody. The door of the private car stood open now and the young man who had emerged from it raised his hat to her. "'I've not kept you waiting,' she said, smiling. Old Fielding would cling on to me and talk. "'Poor old Fielding,' said the young man. "'Get in, won't you? No, you've not kept me waiting.' The car moved slowly on through the heavy traffic. For a few seconds they sat in silence. Then he took her hands and kissed them. "'You're a darling,' he said, "'and you played divinely tonight.' "'It's a very good thing that you're so fond of music,' she said. "'But it's a still better thing that you don't know too much about it. "'In that last movement, well, I was rather glad the maestro wasn't there. "'He wouldn't have told me that I played divinely. "'It's quite probable that he would have sworn at me.' "'The pig!' said the man. "'Oh, don't say that. I adore him, you know. "'Do you adore me more? "'I shan't tell you anything about it. Why couldn't I come straight to the Queen's Hall for you tonight? Was it simply the feminine desire for mystery and romance? Oh, dear, no. One must avoid scandal. That's all? Most people there know your car and your liveries. Mr. Fielding knows that you are a married man, and I am an unmarried woman. He would come to conclusions. I suppose he has to know the truth sooner or later. His conclusions would not be the truth. When the time comes when I give myself to you, then he may know everything. I shall never see him again, then. I shall never see England again. You give up too much for me. Your career, your reputation, everything. I want to give up everything for you. Two weeks longer to wait. How long two weeks can be. But after that our lives are in front of us. 
As the car stopped before her house, he kissed her on the mouth. She got out and ran up the steps. She waited there till the car was out of sight. Then she opened the door with a little gold key that hung from her wrist. 2. It has happened that a horse taken out of the shafts of a cab has subsequently won a classic race. Genius has no pedigree. Mr. Irwin was a fairly prosperous grocer and a provision merchant at Helmstone. His wife was kindly and apologetic. Neither of them had been greatly endowed by nature. Not one of the other children soared far above the commonplace. Lydia was the star of the family. She reverted to some long-forgotten ancestor. Almost her earliest recollection was one of grief and tears because the piano was out of tune. Musical genius has very little chance nowadays of remaining in obscurity. Lydia's first teacher spoke to the leader of the orchestra at Helmstone. The leader of the orchestra sniffed and was superior, but said he would hear the kid. After he had heard the kid, he passed the news a little further up the great staircase, and an elderly gentleman in a fur coat, Mr. Fielding, to be precise, came down from London. Mr. Fielding talked to Mr. Irwin, and it was all settled. Lydia received most of her musical education abroad. Now that she was in the front rank of violinists, she had perforce to travel much. A part of the year she was at her own house at South Kensington. Very seldom was she at home. Her visits were great occasions. She came laden with presents and with glory, and the family made no attempt to conceal their inordinate pride in her. When Lydia was expected, the piano tuner was summoned, and the man with the mechanical piano, who played waltzes in the drive of the Elms, Mr. Irwin's private residence, was instructed to discontinue himself until further notice. Mrs. Irwin consulted a little notebook, in which she had written down every preference that Lydia had ever expressed. The two weeks, which to one man were to seem so long, were drawing to an end. Lydia had made up her mind to spend her last three days in her old home. She did not mean to tell any of her people what her intentions were. She justified herself to herself. She was about to run away with a married man, but that statement did not tell all the truth. He was married to a woman who was chronically ill and chronically ill-tempered, a woman who had told him more than once that she wished he were dead. For five years he had suffered for his mistake, and Lydia felt that he had suffered long enough. As for herself, she had been adored by many people. Her appearance was of a romantic type, and many men had fallen under her spell. She had grown weary of this persistent adoration, just as she had grown weary of the scent of too many roses and of the roar of applause. She had never loved but one man, and to that one man, whatever the judgment of the world might be, she intended to give her life. Indeed, she felt as if she were now going to begin life. All that had gone before had been but a preparation for this. She closed the door on her old self said good-bye to her own people, and went out, as it seemed to her, towards infinite possibilities. She had brought much luggage for a three days' visit, but that did not surprise her family. Lydia always brought much luggage. Clara said that she wore a new dress every ten minutes, and was almost afraid to admire any of them, 
if she admired anything of Lydia's, Lydia gave it to her at once. Her father and mother met Lydia at the station. It takes a good deal, he said, to get me away from my business at three o'clock in the afternoon, but still there are occasions. I wish there were more of them, said Mrs. Irwin. Your father does too much, Lydia. Certainly, Lydia thought, he seemed older and more worn, although he was perfectly cheerful. The fact of the case is, he said to Lydia, we've had to face some serious competition of late. One of the big cut-price gangs has started a branch not ten doors away from my own shop. For some time I was nervous about it, but I met each move they made. I sold stuff for less than it cost me, sooner than be left behind. "'It's all right now?' asked Lydia. "'Oh, yes, it's all right now. They hadn't got the quality that's where I had my pull. There's plenty of room for both of us in Helmstone.' they taking the low class, and me taking the rest. We came to an arrangement. Yes, we're quite on good terms now. If I meet their manager in the street, we always have a chat together. They aren't bad people at all, for a low class trade. I wish you were out of business altogether, said Lydia. You've done enough. You ought to take a rest. Ah, said Mr. Irwin, that's what your mother said, but we're not so rich as all that. It may come one of these days. Two of Lydia's sisters, Clara and Ruth, and Lydia's youngest brother Bill were at home. Her two other brothers were away at a public school, and her other sister Catherine was giving cooking demonstrations at a domestic training college. Mrs. Irwin gave a favorable report of all the absentees. Yes, said Lydia's father, all my children are good, and one of them is famous. I don't want to boast, but upon my word I might. The three days passed very quietly. The provinciality and narrowness of her people impressed Lydia much less than their goodness. Their unbounded faith in her touched her. Clara and Ruth were absolutely without any jealousy. They did not merely accept the fact that Lydia was brilliant, and they themselves not. They rejoiced and gloried in her superiority. But, said Lydia to Ruth one day, you mustn't exaggerate about me, or you'll make people laugh at me. I didn't invent the fiddle, you know. That's almost what it comes to, said Ruth. You show people what can be done with it. There have been a few others, said Lydia, laughing. Kubelik isn't bad for a beginner. Her small brother rather amused Lydia. He was an extremely grave and reserved boy. He considered any demonstration of affection to be unmanly. He told Lydia solemnly that he was pleased to see her. Later he admitted that he had changed the name of one of his rabbits, and had changed it in Lydia's favor. Mrs. Irwin had to remonstrate mildly with Lydia about Bill. He really ought not to have so much money to spend. He was too young. If Mrs. Irwin felt any uneasiness at all on Lydia's account, it was because of her extravagance in the manner of presents. She rained presents upon the entire family. She sent hampers of presents to the boys at the public school. She sent a traveling bag of great luxury to the demonstrator of cookery. She showed the utmost ingenuity at discovering things which her father and mother might possibly want, and great celerity in procuring them. 
"'And when shall we see you again?' they asked when it was time for her to go. "'Soon,' said Lydia. "'Very soon.' Three. The young man drove up to the little junction, left his magnificent car in the station yard, and went to meet the local train from Helmstone. It was late and leisurely as usual. Lydia did not travel with her maid when she went down to Helmstone, and for a few minutes the man was busy with luggage. "'I've got the car outside,' he said. "'Why?' said Lydia. "'You had my letter this morning, didn't you?' "'Yes.' But I can't leave it like that. Don't you see that I can't possibly do without you now? You must come with me. You belong to me. He turned to a porter and gave a direction about the luggage, but Lydia forestalled him. All those things in the London Express. How long have I to wait? Twenty minutes, milady. Should have been more, but the local's a little after her usual time. Very good, said Lydia. Look after all these things for me. I have a carriage reserved for me on the train. The name's the same as on the luggage. You'll find it when the train comes in. I'll see to all that, milady. There shan't be any mistake. He was not a man of great intelligence, but he had a fine flair for potential generosity. Ladies who reserved first-class carriages for themselves could afford to be generous, and the porter believed the application of a courtesy title to be soothing and emollient. He had already addressed the young man as captain. Lydia now turned to the young man. I can give you twenty minutes, she said. I don't want twenty minutes. I want the whole of your life. She shrugged her shoulders. Then if you don't care to talk until the train comes in, I won't keep you. You said your car was waiting outside, I think. Will you come in here, he said sulkily, opening the door of a waiting room. And before the fire in the dingy waiting-room they sat on uncomfortable chairs and talked. "'I suppose,' said the young man, "'I've done something you don't like. I don't know what it is. And you don't tell me in your letter. Tell me now. I apologize in advance. Surely it must be something that I can put right again.' "'No, it's not that,' said Lydia. "'Then you have ceased to care for me?' I shall never cease to care for you, said Lydia simply and with conviction. Then you must come with me now. Think no more about it, but come. You had quite made up your mind, you know. Yes, I had. I have changed it again, and for the last time. Why? Tell me at least why. I tried to tell you in my letter, but I suppose I'm not so good at writing as I am at playing the fiddle. It's... It's almost a matter of business. Business? What do you mean? What has business got to do with it? One may pay too much for anything. I should have to pay for my happiness with the misery of other people. It is like paying for it with stolen money, and with money stolen from those who are very dear to me. Your people would understand in time, and when they understood, they would forgive. You don't know my people at all. It is quite certain they would forgive. It is equally certain that they would never understand. I do not wish them to have to forgive. What is it you mean to do, then? I am going back to London tonight. 
I had had an extremely good offer for an American tour. It was forwarded to me this morning. Tomorrow I shall see my agent about it. I am going to accept that offer. I shall be away for six months, and I shall make a great deal of money. What do you want to make a great deal of money for? You know that I hate the idea of your making money on the concert platform, and as it happens, there's not the least necessity for it, if you come with me. She tapped the floor with her foot impatiently. Must I keep repeating it? I am not going away with you. In future, you have my friendship, if you will accept it. But until you are a free man, you can have nothing else. I am sorry if I hurt you, but remember that I hurt myself, too. It is better than hurting so many other people. I am not going to make this money entirely for myself. Her last words were drowned by the roar of the express as it entered the station. She had to repeat them. Why, then? the young man asked. My father is growing old. He seems to have grown much older in this last year, and... The door of the waiting-room opened. "'Don't want to hurry you, my lady,' said the porter, "'but everything's in, and you've only two minutes. Will the gentleman be coming?' "'No,' said Lydia. The young man followed her to her carriage. They reached it only just in time. The porter noted a certain formality in their farewell handshake. It did not distress him. He had just received half a crown for two penny worth of work, and was quite satisfied. End of chapter 8